Hello and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Well, good morning, Grove Church. Grateful to be here with you guys today. Like Lauren said, my name's Adam Flakowski. Uh, and so grateful that you guys are here and grateful that I get to be here. And if you're joining us online, uh, we're, we're thankful that you guys are here as well. Uh, Charlie and I, a couple months back, were sitting at the Slims on college. And I was like, Charlie, what are you, what are you doing for your Christmas series, man? Like, that's, that's a big one. It's got a hit. And he's like, we're doing what was Jesus up to before he was Jesus? I was like, what are you doing? Are you doing? He's like, no, what, what Jesus was up to before he was Jesus. And as I've kind of dove into this topic myself these last couple of months, I've really learned a ton that, you know, we think about Jesus traditionally just as this 33-year-old who died on a cross about 2,000 years ago. But really, like Charlie kicked this series off, he, he has existed Forever. He was never created. And so that's been really enlightening uh, in my own personal walk with God. But yeah, Charlie has served as a, as a friend of mine and as a, really a mentor of mine, definitely in spiritual things, but also in like how to spend a good day at Disney World. Um, I imagine he's kind of counseled some of you guys in that as well. Or, you know, he's definitely spiritual stuff, but also like it's always tucked in like history of Razorback basketball and like why we're going to be good. or but So I really am grateful for him and his role in my life. You have to have people like that who you can go spiritual with, but you can also just hang out with. I know he's that for you guys as well. But we're talking about this series, what was Jesus up to before he was Jesus? And I guess the technical theological word for this would be a Christophany. That's a big word, right? So a Christophany is pretty much like a, like maybe like an epiphany of Christ. It's a Christophany. It's this, it's this moment in the 39 books of the Old Testament where Jesus shows up, right? And then these 27 books of the New Testament are Jesus' story and then the expansion of the church. And so it's fun and interesting to look back at these Christophanies these little uh, nuggets of Jesus that are tucked away in our Old Testament. I think the best way to think about a Christophany is kind of like an Easter egg, right? Like an Easter egg in a, in a movie series or in a book or a show. It's like this little thing tucked away that may, maybe you didn't even notice or maybe you noticed it and you're like, that was kind of weird. And then like eight episodes later or a couple movies later, that same thing happens again and you're like, ah, oh, like... Not, it broadens the picture, right? And so, so some examples to think about here is uh, the first Captain America movie. Um, love the first Captain America movie. I like the older Marvel stuff because it's more like traditional superhero. Now it's all like just crazy out there. But the, the first Captain America, he's this little scrawny guy. It's Steve Rogers before he's Captain America. And he's getting beat up in an alley, okay? And you get this little moment where he's getting beat up and he pulls up like this trash can shield, 
and says, I could do this all day. And you're like, oh, that's great. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and then you watch the Civil War, Captain America. Like, I don't know. Marvel's made a million movies. So like 20 movies later. And it's like, it's like this final scene with him and Iron Man and they're battling. It's like epic. You're like, who's going to win? It looks like Captain America's going to lose. And then he stands up. I can do this all day. And you're like, let's go. Like, I remember like 10 years ago when I watched that scene and it adds some value. It's foreshadowing what Captain America's story is going to be like and it's bringing some, some value to the story. It also makes me think a little bit, uh, I'm sure we have some Harry Potter fans in here, uh, but, but as you watch the movie franchise or read the books, right, there's this character that's up in air the whole time. He's mostly portrayed to be bad but as you watch, you're like, oh, Snape. Some, something's going on with him because he's the bad guy. He is the bad guy, and then he'll step in and protect Harry. And you're like, why do you do that? And then the next movie, he'll step in and be like, no, he, Harry didn't do it, and he'll protect them. And then eventually, at the end of the whole thing, you're like, oh, my gosh. He was the glue. Like, he held the whole thing together. It's incredible. I'm sorry if I just ruined Harry Potter for you, but it's been out since like 2004, so that, that is your fault. But like, it's, it's an Easter egg. It's these things tucked away in the story that make the whole story more engaging for us. Right? And as I read the 66 books in my Bible, if I'm honest, sometimes I'm just, I just miss stuff. Or, or it can be hard to link it all together. And so when we look at these like, little Easter eggs, these, these little nuggets, it really kind of opens our mind or broadens our perspective to who Jesus is. So I really am grateful that the Grove and Charlie and Morgan, they decided to do what is Jesus up to before he was Jesus. I think we ought to look at that more. And so today we're going to be diving into a little story. It's, it's a narrative. It's a historical narrative. It's telling the story of history, but it's telling it with the unique lens of what is God doing in the story. Uh, I, I like to call, and this is going to sound cheesy, so, but you just got to go there with me. I like to call my Old Testament some history with some mystery. Right, like it, it, it really is it's straight up history, but then every once in a while you, you, like, you look at it and you're like, what just happened? It's kind of mysterious. God can be kind of mysterious, but he's doing things and he's present and he's active and he's been building this master plan that he is in charge of and we are all a part of that story. So today we're, we're, we're gonna dive in um, to Daniel 3. And if you grew up in church or if you spent much time um, reading or kind of rolling around in the Old Testament, it'll be a somewhat familiar story. But there's some, there's some truths about the, the story of Daniel 3, which is the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the furnace. There, there's some truths tucked away in there, and Jesus tucked away in there, in a way that we can look at the big picture and go, wow, God is up to amazing things. And so I want to give us a little background here. This, this story took place, again, it's, it's history, but, it, but, it, but it's mystery. I get that. It, it's history. It took place 2,600 years ago. So it, it actually happened. The Bible accounts it, and there's also other historical documents that account this thing. It did happen. Um, and at this time, Babylon is the main historical ruling bad guy. So like all ancient literature kind of paints Babylon to be the bad guy. And it's because it's a pagan empire. It's full of kings that are malicious, full of kings that are murderers. And the same is true here. It's about a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And not only is he 
evil and a, and a pagan ruler, he's also the most powerful man on the planet. Right? Babylon has conquered Israel. It's conquered Jerusalem. It's conquered uh, like Western Egypt and Africa and all the way up to Greece and like all the way into like modern day Nepal area. Like it, it is a huge, vast empire that has conquered a ton. And there's a pagan king who just set up a 90-foot statue of gold of the god called Marduk and said, everyone's got to worship this thing. Every people, language, nation, I rule them all, and I say that everyone's got to worship this golden statue. It's kind of messed up. This, is, this, is, this happened. And there's these three Jewish guys that are like bold and courageous. And so when the time comes for everyone to get on their knees and worship this gold statue, they just stay there. And they stay standing up. And you got to imagine, if there's a big, it's on, it's on a field, the statue's like kind of on the plane of a field. If there's thousands of people in one swoop motion kind of fall down to worship, it's going to stick out if there's these three guys in the back who just, right? And that obviously does not sit well with the king because he says, anyone who doesn't worship this statue, I'm going to burn. I'm going to throw them in the fire. So this is a really unique story. And we're going to hop in. I'm going to read the last 14 verses of it or 15 verses of it for us. We're going to hop in where these guys get brought in in front of this pagan king, most powerful man on the planet. And they just got brought in before him because they have defied his law. So there, there, there's some tension here. There's some tension. There, there's some anger. And so I, I just want us to read it, and then we're going to pull some truth out of it that hopefully is helpful for us in our walk with God today. So Daniel 3 Verses 15 through 30. Okay. Standing before the king. And he says, now, if you guys are ready, you three guys, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, when you hear kind of the worship set start, um, fall down and worship my golden image that I've made. And we're well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is this God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Okay, this is intense. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression on his face changed against these three guys. And he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more hot than it usually was heated. And he ordered some of his mightiest men to, of the army to bind the three. And, he cast, and then he cast them um, into ropes, and, and he ties them up uh, in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they're thrown in the fiery furnace. And because the king's order was so urgent, the furnace was overheated, and the flames of the fire killed those men who took the three up. And the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the fiery furnace. If we just stop right here, you like, this is messed up. This should not happen. What? These are God's people. Why, why, why are we burning? This is, this, is, this is a hard to read story. But King Nebuchadnezzar stands up. He's astonished. 
and declares to the people around him, did we not cast three men into this fire? They answered, they answered the king and said, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out of the fire. And they came out. And all the government officials were gathered around and they saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and the smell of fire hadn't even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of you three, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their own bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of these three shall be torn limb to limb and their houses be laid to ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way than the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's a crazy story. Like so, someone needs to take this and make a really good movie on it, right? Like three guys thrown into a furnace, but there's some themes that are tucked in here. The theme of allegiance, the theme of worship, the theme of authority or the theme of deliverance. All these things are tucked away. And what is going on here? And then in 325, you get this really interesting verse. It says, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. The appearance is like the fourth or the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. What is that? <laughs> like, the first time I read this, I was like, what did he see? Or like, I would love to be sitting in that moment next to this pagan king who's ruling everything, and he's looking in the fire, and he's freaking out because he's like, there's another person in that fire with him. And he looks like, a, the, the best explanation he has is he, he looks like a son of the gods. Right? Theologians and commentators and, and Bible historians all, mostly all agree that th this was the third person of the Trinity. This was Jesus in the form of a, this is God in the form of a person standing among these three guys in a fire. It's a miraculous thing. Like it, this is a really cool story, but part of me when I read this is like, it sounds a little bit like fiction. Like I've, I've never personally been thrown into a very harmful circumstance and then had God come down next to me and we walk through it together and you're like, we're all good to go. And, and so what's the theme or what's the core truth? What do we need to learn about Jesus here to help us on our day to day? The first thing is that it, Jesus is a deliverer. Jesus is a deliverer. This is a little nugget, a little Easter egg, like tucked in our Old Testament that's going to point to and foreshadow what Jesus ends up doing, right? Like Christmas is right around the corner, and we're going to celebrate a person being born. People are born all the time. Why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Because this is the one who comes to deliver. And, and so and these three guys understood that Jesus is a deliverer, and they also understood that Jesus doesn't have to deliver us from this moment. 
and said, hey, even if he doesn't step in, like even if this situation, King Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't work out, we're still not going to worship your statue because we worship the one true God. And here's, here's the thing here. Jesus is able to deliver from anything. He really can. He's that powerful. But Jesus does not always deliver us from everything, right? Jesus is able. He's able to deliver from anything. He, he has that power. He has that control. He is sovereign, but he does not always deliver from everything, every moment, every circumstance, every stress, every anxiety, but he is present and active. And if you reflect on your own life, like as I've reflected on this truth that Jesus is a deliverer, I've personally become really thankful for Jesus' role of deliverer in my life. I reflect back to my years in college. So for me, faith, Jesus, living with God, all that solidified well, I was living in a fraternity house and I was, I, I, my time in that had been running from the Lord. And then all these things started to solidify. And Jesus delivered me for some things that I never, and I never even realized I would need deliverance from. Things like um, so, so, some past sexual trauma that I had so much shame and guilt and confusion and personal life destruction wrapped up in that when Jesus actually came in and delivered me from some of this shame and guilt, it was like, oh my gosh, Jesus is a deliverer. Or even the way I was using alcohol at the time. It's not, it's not like things just got easy, but man, Jesus started to deliver me from some codependent relationships, from some shame, from some guilt, uh, from lying and selfish gain. And as Jesus delivered me, I started to change. Jesus doesn't always deliver from every circumstance we might find ourselves in, right? And if you're honest, there's been some times in your life where you've been in a spot, I've been in a spot, we've all been in a spot where like, I felt like God was maybe gonna come through in some way for me there, and he didn't. But ultimately, Jesus is delivering from sin and death. I think all humanity shares two big crises that I sin. I don't always do the right thing. Like I, I've made some mistakes. I've got some baggage. I've got some wounds. I sin. And ultimately, I'm finite. I will die. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to come to terms with. So Jesus says where it ultimately matters, sin and death. Jesus dies on a cross. Why? To deliver people from sin and death. So this is a little nugget tucked away in our Old Testament pointing to the character of the God of the universe, that Jesus at his core is a deliverer. And I cannot perfectly prove this one to you. Like I can't. I, I wish I had like a slam dunk, irrefutable truth that, that says Jesus will deliver you from sin and death. But this is, this is a faith piece, man. Like this, this is a hard one for us to internally battle through, but it is true. And I've, I've come to believe in, in my heart of hearts that Jesus will deliver. He is a deliverer from sin and death. And he delivered in a really miraculous way these three guys from a fire. And I think he will and continue to deliver in miraculous ways as well. Okay, the second core truth. I think if we're looking at this story, we can pull some things out and they'll help us. They'll, they'll lodge into our heart and help us in our walk day to day. The second thing is that Jesus is rescuing humanity. Jesus, he is rescuing humanity. This story, although the central characters are a pagan king, 
three faithful guys and the one in the fire, those are kind of our main characters, who ultimately is affected at the end of this thing? Everyone. Most powerful guy on the planet who rules all the nations, languages, and peoples, he makes a decree. He says, blessed be the God of these three guys who sent his angel uh, to deliver his servants who trusted in him and he set aside my command and they yielded up their bodies. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, language that speaks anything against these guys shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses laid ruined. So, you know, again, Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's got some work to do. He's still like violent. He's still like, if you don't worship this God, we're gonna, we're gonna get, but all of a sudden it's, it's a law. It, it is a decree from the king that we should honor the God of these three guys. But this one, Jesus rescuing humanity, it can be hard for us to grasp because if I look out in the world, I, I kind of lift up my eyes and I watch the news or I get on Twitter or I do, I don't functionally feel that all the time. I don't, I don't always feel it. And this happened for me this fall in, in kind of a funny way, okay? So if you drive down Weddington, there's a, there's a main road, Fayetteville, Weddington. If you drive to the west side of Weddington, there is this plot of land this fall that they started doing construction on, okay? And in my joy, I told my wife, Katie, I was convinced, I'm like, Katie, that is gonna be a Chick-fil-A, I was so excited, 100,000 people in Fayetteville, one operating Chick-fil-A, what are we doing? What is God doing in the world? We only have one Chick-fil-A, guy. Like, that, that's going to be a Chick-fil-A. There's no doubt about it. And then, like, the first wall started coming up, and I'm like, Katie, do you see that? That looks like it could be a Chick-fil-A wall. And she's like, that would be awesome. Do you, does anyone know this construction I'm talking about? It's going to be a car wash. Okay, it's literally going to be a car wash. In, 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 in a funny way, I'm like, God, oh my gosh. Like, what? We need another Chick-fil-A. I know they're doing the one on college, but we needed one on Weddington. We don't have it. Or, or like I go to Wilson Park. Like I know pickleball is huge now. And I, I go to Wilson Park and they're redoing the bathroom when there's not pickleball courts. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, those have to be pickleball courts. Like, why are we doing the bathroom? Like, the bathrooms were fine. Okay, and those are funny things, okay? It, but they're true, I feel them. But in a much deeper sense, I look out and, I, and I'm like, God, what is happening? Where are you? Like, in our world today, two current wars going on? We're like, to people's best discernment, they're deciding to kill other people. I'm like, why? Why, why would that happen? That seems bad. Or even I, I think about like our own climate and culture in America and the kind of mental instability that it feels like we're living in or a lot of the kind of hate or just, it's like everything's got two sides to it or like three sides to it and no sides can, like everyone just, it's just like, I'm like, what, what is going on, man? Like, what, why is all this stuff happening? And I imagine if you're a Jewish person living in an exiled world in the province of Babylon, you just watched this 90-foot statue go up and said, and we're told you have to worship it, and if you don't, you're going to die. And you're like, God, where the heck are you? Right? They, they, so I imagine some of these things that these people were feeling, we can also feel today. And the there's a core foundational truth that, that is part of the Christian hope is that Jesus is rescuing humanity. 
Like, I imagine there was really no way to see out of, we have to worship this thing or die. Like, it felt like that is just infinitely bad, and this is going to be horrible. What happens? Jesus saves. He, he delivers, yes, three guys, but ultimately it affects everyone. In all these micro ways around the world today, Jesus is saving and delivering people. In a very macro, universal way, Jesus will rescue and restore and redeem and recreate all humanity in a place where sin, death, disease, all those things are going to be wiped away. There's a ton of hope in that, right? This is a little nugget. This is a little core truth for us to look to and say, wow, God is doing amazing things. And I think it helps for us, it helps for me, to not look out and say, what the heck, what is going on, this is all bad, but to say, to look out and say, God, what are you doing? With an attitude of expectance of God is moving. God is is doing things all over the world and he's taking broken, hard situations and he's stepping into those spaces and making them new. And in overarching, he's redeeming, rescuing, restoring all humanity. Do you have hope in that? Right, for me, that, 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 that helps me sleep at night, man. Like sometimes I'm just like, oh, it's just heavy. And I think about that and I'm like, wow, there's peace with God. Jesus is delivering. He's rescuing all humanity. And the last thing that I think we can kind of grasp onto here. And this passage is that Jesus is receiving worship. Jesus is receiving worship. Uh, Ultimately, this this whole thing started with this pagan king wanting them to worship a golden statue. What do you get if you go worship a golden statue? Uh, I imagine, like, if you just think about it, I imagine there's some people on their knees on this field worshiping the golden statue thinking, What does this do for us? Like, like literally, what can the golden statue do for the people? I don't know. Like, no, I would say no, nothing. <laughs> it, just, it just stands there. And, and what about other things than God? Like, what about the things that, in our day and age, we never go around saying, hey, I, today I'm going to worship money. I've never, I've never heard someone do that or like, I'm going to worship the way I look today or I'm going to worship this other person or this thing. We don't do that, but again, a lot of this is functional. How, how does this practically happen? We, we functionally, we worship things that leave us off in a bad spot. Right? What, what happens when we worship money or when we worship our, our job or our position or people's approval of us? It, it just leaves us more anxious. It leaves us going to our phones more to just kind of scroll so we don't have to think about it. It, it. it makes things worse. But when we worship Jesus and he receives our worship, what happens to us? Oh. Man, it fills us with joy, hope. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's because Jesus is the only thing that can actually receive our worship. Because he's the only thing that is complete and holy and pure and good and perfect. Jesus, 2,600 years ago, receiving people's worship. Jesus today, he is receiving our worship. And it's helpful to think about this, because if I look out, like, go with me here. 
If I look out to the ocean and I'm really thirsty, like if I was really thirsty and I didn't know anything about the ocean, but I looked out at it, I'd be like, I found the jackpot. Like I'm so thirsty and all I can see is water. And you, and you get down on your knees and you start drinking that while you're so thirsty. And you drink it and you're like, oh, I'm more thirsty now. Right? And so you get back down and you drink it again. And then you drink it, and ultimately, what happens if you just gulp ocean water for hours? You get sick and die. Ultimately, you get dehydrated. It's too much salt in there. That's what happens when we spend a lot of our time and our life worshiping other things. What happens when we worship Jesus? Worship God, Jesus being one of the Trinity of God. It's like, it's like you've been hiking all day long and you are so tired and you just got to the top of the mountain and there's just this clear, crystal clear mountain spring, like snowfall spring. And you get down and it's like one gulp is like, oh my, that's all I need. That's all I need. Jesus literally gives this analogy. He says, I am like a spring of eternal water. Those who drink from me, from me will never be thirsty. Again, we prescribe ultimate value to Jesus because Jesus has ultimate value. This is a story of worship. This is a story about who receives worship. And, and ultimately, as we look to the rescuing of humanity, we think about heaven or life after this earth, um, we get a picture of a really unique and impactful worship service. About 1900 years ago, a guy named John got a vision from God and God told him to write it down. And it was about, what, it was about what's to come. It's in the book of Revelation. And John wrote this down about what worship in heaven is gonna look like. It's in Revelation 7. And John says, I looked and behold, there was a great multitude that no one could number. Get this. From every nation, from every tribe, from all peoples and languages. Sounds a lot like that decree that Nebuchadnezzar made. But they're not standing before a, a golden idol. No, they're standing before the throne and the lamb. And they're clothed in white robes. They're holding palm branches in their hands and they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures that Mark talked about last week and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying amen, bless and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Jesus is receiving our worship. And it's not just something we should do, worship Jesus. It's actually what's best for us. It is what's best for us. So why worship? Jesus, he's a deliverer. Why worship? Because Jesus is rescuing all of humanity. Why worship? Because Jesus is receiving it. Jesus is receiving it. And so as we move, as we continue to move forward in December and the holiday season and all these things that are going on, 
I think the best thing I could come and say this morning is that let, let, let's try to genuinely, in our heart of hearts, and, and functionally, what we're putting our, our hope and our time and our finances and all these things, towards Jesus. So we, try to, so we try to serve him. What is Jesus up to? What was he up to before incarnated? These things. And he's up to these things today as well. Grove, thanks for letting me spend some time with you. Uh, let me pray for us, and then the worship band is going to come up, and we will worship Jesus. Um, God, I'm really grateful uh, that you're a deliverer. Um, I personally have experienced you in deep ways of deliverance. Um, God, I'm thankful that you're rescuing all of the world. Uh, I can't imagine if you weren't. Uh, God, and thank you for receiving my worship. It's not, it's not what it needs to be, but God, I do worship you, and thank you for receiving our worship. Lord, draw near to us right now as we sing songs to you and worship you further. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast, and you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover on our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast, which is on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.